Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. But every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. You know, I don't mind telling you, there's a few eyes lit up around broadcasting house. This morning, that story from Spain that Vic had in the news, I'll give you more on it in a little while, but this new law they're about to pass in Spain, it'll go through relatively easily by all accounts, that women are to get menstrual leave to be allowed to take time off at their time of the month. It'll be one of the new, a whole batch of workers' rights being voted in in Spain but I tell you a few eyes lit up around the building this morning at that news and a lot of people saying, oh, I wonder would they do that here I wonder would they do it here not, Spain are not the first it's a bunch of other countries do it already but certainly it excited a few people in or around this particular vicinity this morning Ken Perrett has been on there's a second oh god there's a second multi-vehicle collision on the N22 between Farron and Ovens. You're asked to avoid the Kilcray Road, possibly use Aherla as a diversion instead, hoping that nobody is injured in that. Also, there was a five-car collision also on the N22 on the McCroom side of the previous collision. So two multi-vehicle accidents on the N22 this morning. Let us hope that nobody is too badly injured. I see a mention there in the news of Brooke Scullion, going forward tonight and we'll check up uh, we were talking about it yesterday with Dermot Manning, our man in Turin and Dermot will talk to us again tomorrow in the wake of tonight uh, hoping against hope that Brooke makes it through to the final I think she's got a great chance, I'm going to play the song before we finish today, it's called That's Rich and they're calling her, I love this I saw it in one or two of the papers, they're calling her Derry Lipa or Dira Lipa hear the, yeah it's, it's, it's a good, it's a, I'm Charlie McGilligan's right, it's a great little pop song. 
So lots to do, lots to talk about uh, over the next couple of hours. Uh, yes, m- m- people are going to money lenders for Holy Communions and MABs, the money advice people, are very worried about it. Um, it's a time of year that's really expensive and so many people put off communions for the last few years and now they want to have a big bash that they can have a communion. And it's costing a lot of money. It's an expensive time. And some people are going to money lenders, uh, illegal money lenders. So we'll catch up with that one a little bit later. 0818 96 96 96. But yesterday morning when I was talking to Olivia Kelleher, freelance journalist, about the Karen Harrington trial, uh, we asked... I asked Olivia whether she was going to take the stand in her own defence and, and at that point no one knew for sure. She did, didn't she? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. She did. Uh, this was the jury's first time hearing directly from Karen Harrington. They had been shown um, video footage of her fifth guard interview, but um, she got into the witness box at the Central Criminal Court yesterday morning and her defence counsel, Brendan Grehan, asked the first question um, he asked her what she wanted to tell the court and she said that I did not murder Santina Cawley. Mr. Grehan then said to Miss Harrington, that's been your position throughout this. Yes, she replied. That then PJ was the end of the extent of her direct evidence. So we were over to cross-examination. Now, I suppose you never know with the cross-examination whether it's going to last several hours. But in fact, uh, Sean Galan, prosecution senior counsel, questioned Karen for 15 minutes. Mm. Um, He asked Karen, if you didn't kill Santina, who did? And she said, who did? I can't answer that. Mm. Mr. Galan said, or you won't say. She replied, I'm unsure to say. Mr. Galan then put it to uh, Karen uh, that Santina didn't cause the injuries to herself. And he asked her, did she accept that the, did you accept the only person with Santina was you? Mm. Uh, She replied, no. He then asked her, would she like to name anyone else with her? Karen then went into her reply was uh, that she'd been woken from her sleep that night in the apartment, that there had earlier been an argument between herself and Michael Cawley, the child's father. At the time, um, Michael Cawley and Karen Harrington were in a relationship. Mm-hmm. She said she'd left a friend's apartment when the arg- where the argument occurred and that she went up to her own apartment. And then at 3 a.m., there was a call to her apartment that she didn't expect. She said that Michael had come to the apartment with Santina, left Santina in the apartment, and Karen and Santina were the only two people in Karen's apartment. Mm. Now, Michael Cawley had previously given evidence, PJ, where he said that he asked Santina, would she mind, uh, or asked Karen, sorry, would she mind Santina? And she said she would. Mm. Uh, She said, Karen then said she accepted that herself and Santina were alone for a period in the apartment. Uh, The senior counsel then, Sean Galan, said to her that um, there had been various CCTV of the father of the child recorded all around the city centre between 3am and 5am on the morning that uh, Santina was found critically injured. He said, you were alone with Santina in the apartment, Karen. She is alive And Karen said, that would have been me at that time, yeah. She said, she is uninjured, Mr. Galan said. And she said, no, I can't confirm that. Uh, The prosecution then said, why can't you confirm that she was uninjured? 
She said she didn't know anything about the injuries apart from what she'd heard, like everyone else at the trial. Uh, Mr. Glenn then put it to her, if Santina had been injured when she arrived back at the apartment, how could you not have noticed? Um, Karen replied, I ask myself the same. All I can recall back when I vision Santina, I don't see any bruises or injuries or blood or anything like that. Uh, Mr. Galan then recalled the evidence, PJ, of the assistant state pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster. Mm. Um, she said that when um, Santina sustained a head injury, that uh, the child would have no longer been able to cry, that she would have lapsed into a, a coma. And he asked uh, Ms. Harrington to solve the mystery, essentially, PJ, of, of what happened mm -hmm. to uh, Santina Cawley. He said, Karen, can you help us solve the mystery? Will you do that? And Miss Harrington made no reply. Uh, Sean Galan then put it to uh, Karen Harrington. What was done to that child was done to her when only you and she were there. Mm -hmm. And Karen replied, I disagree with that. Um, then he said, are you going to be big enough to say that Michael Cawley, who's the father of the child, did not do it, that Santina did not do it to herself. Do you accept that? And she said, I accept Santina did not do it. Um, Mr. Galan then said, you know, are you trying to say something? What's, what's the implication here? Um, do you accept Michael did not do this to this child? She And she replied, I accept I did not do this to this child. So he questioned her a few times on this and he again said, you accept Michael did not do this to the child. She replied, I do not know what happened to me three, between 3 and 5 a.m. I was woken from my sleep. Um, Mr. Glenn then put it to her that the father of the child, Michael Cawley, again had been seen on CCTV walking around town. He'd been in Winthrop Street, Oliver Plunkett Street. The guardie had very diligently gone through all the, the CCTV footage and, you know, it was shown to the jury. Uh, do you accept he did not do this to his child? She replied, it's not for me to answer. I'm not in a position to answer. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Glant said, is, is that your escape hatch? And she said, I'm not escaping anything. Um, Mr. Galan then said, PJ, Santina didn't do this to herself. Michael Cawley certainly did not do it. And then he basically said, there's no mysterious stranger in the apartment. The only other person there is you. Did you hear the child crying as the hair was torn from her head? Did you hear her crying as her lip was split, crying as her ribs were broken? Did you hear any of that? Then he asked her, uh, there was a neighbour, PJ Dylan Alney, who had reported that he had heard um, a baby crying or a child crying um, from Karen Harrington's apartment. And uh, Sean Galan, the prosecution counsel, asked Ms. Harrington, is your neighbour making it up when he says he heard the child crying and that he heard you taunting her? Um, the Jury had previously been told that uh, Dylan Ali, this neighbour, had rang, in the, rang the guards. Mm. Um, and he gave his own direct evidence where he said that he heard Santina crying. And Sean Galan put it to Miss Harrington, is your neighbour, Dylan Ali, making this up? And Karen say, said, I'm not saying he's making it up. I don't know. I don't know where Dylan is com coming from, saying that Santina was crying at 430 um, Mr. Galan then said, look, uh, there's no suggestion that Dylan Olney has an axe to grind with you, um, that he'd have any reason to, to say this. 
and she said that her sister had had a few disputes with him, mm-hmm. but he said, Dylan Olney doesn't have an axe to grind with you. Um, he's not making up. She replied, he could be. It could have been me crying. And he said, were you crying? She said, I was crying during the night. Yeah, Mr. Galan said, if the child was crying, she's alive. And uh, he said that the neighbour heard the child and heard her saying, shut up to the child. It shows she's alive and you are awake. And if she's alive and you're awake, you inflicted those injuries on Santina. And again, PJ, she denied this. Fascinating. Interesting exchange. Very interesting exchange. That was uh, her evidence in her own defence, Olivia. Um, Now, the, the trial has effectively gone to a point where the judge will, as they call it in the business, charge the jury this morning. So do we expect them to be sent out today? I wouldn't, uh, I can't say for certain, obviously, but I wouldn't expect them to be sent out today. Um, There was, uh, I would imagine it could be tomorrow or Monday, but we're not certain. But it'll it'll continue today with uh, Justice Michael McGrath charging the jury. Okay, thank you very much, Olivia Kelleher, covering the last couple of days for us at the trial of Karen Harrington, who pleads not guilty to the murder of Santina Cawley on July 5th. 2019 at an apartment on Boreen Manor Road. The charging of the jury is what they call it. Effectively, the judge will spend time, spend a lot of time, going through everything the jury has heard over the course of the last 11 days. He will summarise it for them all, uh, bit by bit, piece by piece. As it proceeded, he will summarise the whole lot for them. He will then go through the law as they must apply it, and he will then instruct them as to what to do in terms of what verdicts they can find and the conditions under which they can find that verdict. And as Olivia said, it's something that can it can take anything from a couple of hours to a couple of days. So that's the next step that the jury will now charge, or the jury will now be charged by the judge, uh, presumably starting today, but could run into tomorrow, could run into Monday. 081896. 9696. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Straight from our soil to your table. Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious. Courts 96FM. Just remiss to be there, I should mention, if you were affected by any of the content of my uh, conversation with Olivia Kelleher, and it has been a very, very upsetting uh, trial. Uh, and we appreciate that it's upsetting to listen to the detail. We feel we need to cover it as a very significant murder trial happening down the road from us here. Um, so it, the HSE has a national counselling service for those who experienced childhood trauma. It's opening times Wednesday to Sunday, 6 till 10pm. That number is 1-800-477-477. And there's a local number as well, which is 
0818-103-116-1800-234-116. If you want to talk to somebody, if you've been affected by the content of the trial coverage, you can also talk to the Samaritans there at 116-123. Pick up the phone to your GP or just talk to someone. Talk to someone you trust if what you're hearing is upsetting you or troubling you or triggering you in any way. 0818-969696. Did you see that report this morning in the news? There's never been such a shortage of places to rent. Daft.ie has published a report. Rents are now at their highest and the number of places to rent at its lowest for Yonks now. Across Cork, Galway, Limerick and Waterford combined, combined on the 1st of May, there was only 64 homes for rent on daft.ie. That's, that's a chronic shortage. That's a dangerously chronic shortage. 1st of May, 64 homes, Cork, Galway, Limerick and Waterford combined. And of course, when that happens, it drives prices up. It drives rents up in as far as they can go. Eddie O'Driscoll joins me from Auctioneera property. Eddie, this is this is a serious crisis. Those are the tightest figures I can ever remember seeing. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, that's correct. They are the lowest numbers of rental properties on the market since staff started compiling these numbers, I think over a, a decade ago. So yeah, it's uh, and, and unfortunately the, the picture doesn't get a whole lot better in terms of um, on if you're looking to, to progress on from renting and Look to buy a property. We're seeing, um, I guess, those shortages in rental, as you were saying, when people are trying to to move on and buy. We're seeing similar uh, shortages, uh, lack of supply in the um, in the sales market, and that then that's feeding into to higher prices. We did some research there internally on the properties that we've sold over the past six months, and properties going eight percent above what would already be pretty bullish guide prices. Mm. We're seeing record numbers coming out to when we list the property. So we're we're, we're a database here of buyers. As soon as we list the property, we're, we're getting on. To, uh, we're letting that database know people are coming out in their droves. I think one of the, the properties that we were, were talking to about, uh, 16 Sydney Place, they're not too far from yourselves, uh, three-bed end-of-terrace property. We listed it. What we thought was a reasonable uh, guide price need, needs a bit of work. Um, and looked at comparables. We listed at 295, and then 44 attendees later through the property, the bidding topped out when sale agreed at 380,000 euros. So wow. feverish bidding on that, that's and that would be in the third more. Oh my God. Yeah, I think it's about 27 or 28% more, but I guess that's what you're going to see when you have that restricted yeah. supply. And, and I suppose the, 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 there was um, systemic underlying imbalance between supply and demand and then you had um, the pandemic which probably exacerbated that and that building sites had to close which was a very inopportune time for them to close you know when we needed supply and I guess we thought maybe demand might taper off and um, when the pandemic hit but the reverse actually happened I guess people were stuck at home and they couldn't spend their money on on anything we, we, we were very nervous as, as the whole things would would progress, but it happened to be that the market just went from strength to strength. Yeah. Uh, bidding went online, viewings went online, and um, then we were interested once uh, COVID finally did move into the rearview mirror and we could stretch our legs and get people out 
viewing properties again, and it's kicked on uh, even again beyond uh, those levels, those strong levels that we saw uh, in the online-only environment that we had during COVID. Yeah. We were told uh, during lockdown that there was a lot of money being squirreled away by people who simply had nothing to spend it on. You know, people lucky enough to have good jobs and the salary was just going to the bank. And there was a lot, I read a figure at one point, Eddie, where there was the bones of six and a, and a half or seven billion euro unspent. And when obviously, like you said, it pops into the rearview mirror, that's going to have an effect on property prices. Are you seeing evidence of that now? Absolutely. So that, that latent demand that was, was built up, as you said, people were at home. They said they, I think we all surprised ourselves at just how smoothly the, the economy could um, function with everybody at home. The, the savings were being built up. And thankfully, from our point of view, the, the market was able to continue to operate uh, very smoothly in, in, in that online-only environment. But then um, as, as things have opened up, all of those savings haven't gone away. Um, I suppose the, the other thing that the, the pandemic did was um, focus people's minds in terms of their, their living situation and that a lot of people now are, are doing hybrid working or working exclusively from home. So it basically, I, I guess, created that, that, that need for more space or a home office. Um, you know, if you three or four people renting in a property and they were going out to work every day, that probably worked fine. But when everybody was stuck at home and trying to do their day's work and fighting over the kitchen table and, and working from, from the end of the bed, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't viable. And people have looked to put those savings to work and, and in, in the housing market and to get on the, the, the ladder. And as I say, we're, we're seeing that very strongly across all properties that we're listing and viewings. And, and then on to bidding and ultimately through yeah. the, the sale of price. Very much a seller's market then, as we speak. But you have to spare a thought for the poor buyer who's trying to get into that market. Where do we go from here, Eddie? I mean, I, I fear, and I've said this before, I remember, as I'm sure you do, I remember what happened in 2007, 2008, where it inflated and inflated and inflated and inflated and then it burst. And we all know what happened then. Is there a danger of that happening again? Yeah, I, I suppose you would say that. I would say this, but I, I think it is very different this this time round in that 2000, the, the the bull run that we had up to the end of 2008, the crash. That was largely a speculative credit fuel boom, um, you know, with everybody um, buying multiple properties. And um, I suppose it, it wasn't so much buy them as a, as, as a house to live in, but more as, as a speculative asset. And we ultimately got up to... 90,000 houses per annum, which in some respects is encouraging. It just shows that we, we, we can get back up to those those levels because ultimately that's what's going to, to solve this is, is more supply. Yeah, yeah and we, we are seeing some, um, you know, the private sector is stepping up in that if you look at um, numbers from last year, um, was the first time in, in quite a while we got over 30,000 housing starts so they will slowly start to so they started last year they'll come on stream uh this year and now having said that Ronan Lyons was um estimating that we need closer to 50,000 to bring the market back into some form of equilibrium but we're heading in, in the right direction but I, I suppose just to, to reiterate the point that this time around it's, it's very very different in terms of the, the buyers that we're seeing coming out to 
um, to, to buy the properties that we're selling. I suppose first off, the, you know, the, the, it's mainly driven by owner occupiers. They want to live there. Uh, it, it's not a, a, a speculative asset that they're looking to, to buy and you know flip off the plans in, in six months' time. So it's very different. The other thing that's that's quite different is this time around we have had the macro prudential rules. So basically. Um, borrowers are limited now mm. in terms of how much they, they can borrow up to three and a half times their salary. So bad and all as, as things are from a, a buyer's point of view at this stage, I think they'd be a whole lot worse if those rules weren't in place. Because if, again, if you go back to 2006 and seven, people were borrowing six, seven um, mm. times their, their salary. That was definitely unsustainable. So, so there isn't this um, yeah. systemic at risk in the system of people who vote for borrowed everyone who's who's bought a house in the last 10 years has been you know subject to that yeah, three and yeah, a half yeah, times yeah, yeah. So, so tough and as tough and all as it is at the moment eddie you you don't yeah. foresee another burst like we had because i don't think you could stay in to uh, sustain two of those in 20 years it yeah. couldn't couldn't happen eddie, <laughs> thank, thank you very much eddie o'driscoll from auctioneera property uh, based here in Cork but that's a shockingly low supply uh, only 64 places to rent in Cork, Galway, Limerick and Waterford combined as of the 1st of May daft.ie with their regular survey that's the lowest figures of all time 0818 96 96 I was talking to Deputy Holly Cairns yesterday about the National Maternity Hospital and her particular concerns. And she voiced them very well, to give her credit. Uh, she takes one side of the argument. I'll be talking to someone who, who takes the same side uh, next. But I still don't know where I'm coming from here. And it's weird. Um, and a lot of people that I talk to don't know where they're coming from either. Because they, all they see is a very unseemly row over something that we absolutely need. And the deeper we look into it, the more complex that row gets. And also, it looks very much as if the Cabinet is set to drive ahead with the plan. Come back to it next. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Shine Ladies Lunch takes place on Saturday the 11th of June at the Clayton Hotel Cork City. A fabulous day filled with food, fun, music and more. There'll be a host of raffle and spot prizes on the day with dancing until 10pm. All proceeds from the event will go towards supporting the work of the Shine Centre Cork, supporting families and children on the autistic spectrum. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. You could be wasting up to 18% of your energy with an inefficient boiler. Get €250 off a new one with a local hero's boiler scrappage scheme, plus a 10-year warranty from Borgosh Energy. See localheroes.ie forward slash boiler scrappage. Up to 18% increase in boiler efficiency with a new high-efficiency boiler. €250 discount for boiler installs booked online and installed before the 31st of August. For full T's and C's, see localheroes.ie. 
Transform your windows with made-to-measure blinds, curtains and shutters from Hillary's. There are hundreds of products to choose from, including roller blinds from only €56. There are Hillary's advisors all over Ireland. They take care of all the measuring and fitting and provide a professional in-home service every step of the way, making it easy for you to find the right solution for your windows. And with up to 40% off selected blinds and shutters, plus 20% off selected curtains in the Hillary's Spring Sale, you're sure to find something you'll love. Hillary's. Value you can measure. Terms and conditions apply. Selected lines only. Visit hillarys.ie. Question. What's the one thing that can take you from bedhead to ready to head, from running late to running laps, or from afternoon slump to afternoon one? It's coffee, right? Wake up your day with a fresh cup of Rosa coffee from your local Maxall. Can we just Opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. So, as I said, this row has gone on for years. I remember discussing it on the opinion line a number of years ago, but it's really hotting up in the last few days, and people are confused because we definitely need a new national maternity hospital. We definitely do. But why can we not do it the way, or why do some people say we can't do it the way it's planned? And the way it's planned would be that it would go on to land owned by the St. Vincent's Group and it would be a state-run hospital. So it would be a state-run hospital run on land that the state does not own but is leasing for €10 a year, which effectively one would think, well, we kind of do own it. Dr. Peter Boylan is a former master of the National Maternity Hospital and he is one of the strongest voices against what the government is planning. Uh, Dr. Boylan, you say, as an obstetrician at the front line of Catholic interference in women's health care for 40 years, I recognise the dangers of this deal for women. Strong words, doctor. Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Uh, they will not be working for a state hospital. The plan is that the National Maternity Hospital, as we know it today, the corporate entity that is, that the doctors and midwives are all working for, will be dissolved. And they'll be working for a new private company called NMHDAC, which in turn is owned by, will be owned uh, by St. Vincent's Healthcare Group. And that group is owned by St. Vincent's Holding. Now, St. Vincent's Holding Company is a Vatican-approved private company Uh, whose directors are committed to upholding the vision and values of the Religious Sisters of Charity. Now, we're being asked to believe that the Religious Sisters of Charity's values and vision include the provision of services which are specifically contrary contrary to Catholic teaching. Mm. And that's a stretch. Will it not be be staffed and run by HSE-employed people? Hmm? No, it will be staffed and run by people employed by the NMHDAC, which, as I said, was owned by these other bodies. Now, the sisters, when they transferred their property into St. Vincent's Holdings, uh, required the permission of the Vatican. People have said they didn't require it. Well, that's categorically wrong. They required the permission of the Vatican. Now, we haven't, and they got that permission, but there were conditions attached to it that they had to obey particular canon laws. Now, nobody has seen the paperwork between the Sisters of Charity and the Vatican and the Archbishops in Dublin and uh, the three Archbishops, including the Papal Nuncio. So there's a lot of paperwork has gone on between um, Dublin, Mm. the nuns and the Archbishops, and the Vatican. Nobody has had sight of those. 
So there are conditions so attached doctor, to this. So, Doctor, with uh, respect, transfer. how do we know that that exists uh, if no one's had sight of it? How do you know that, for example, the Vatican had to rubber stamp this? Because the description you've just given, with respect, Peter, sounds like something out of the days of John Charles McQuaid. We thought those days were gone. Well, we know this because of the letter that we have seen, which is in the public domain, from the Vatican to the sisters, saying that the um, grant of permission was in line with the petition from the Sisters of Charity. We haven't seen the petition. And we know from the letter from the Vatican that that they have to observe uh, particular canon laws. Now, that's all we know, but there's obviously more than that. Uh, it wasn't all done by phone calls or by meetings where there's no minutes taken or no correspondence. We haven't seen a shareholder agreement between uh, the sisters and the new directors, the owners of the company. Okay. So there's an awful lot of information that's missing. We had a whole slew of papers released about 10 days ago, all of the constitutions and operating licenses and all that sort of stuff. The big piece that we haven't seen is the paperwork between the Vatican and the Sisters of Charity and the Archbishops. And we need to see that. Otherwise, we're sleepwalking. Public documents can be easily released, but but from what you tell me, they appear to be private, very private documents. So how do we go about seeing them? Well, the state is about to invest probably more than a billion and then fund the running of the hospital uh, and St. Vincent's to the tune of several hundred millions uh, over the next years. So for the state to invest in this without knowing the conditions, the conditionality of, uh, attached to the owners of, by the Vatican, to the owners of the company that will run the new National Maternity Hospital is fraught with risk. So you're, I think you're calling very much on the government to insist on the publication of all of those documents before this goes ahead. Absolutely. It would be absolute folly to invest those huge sums of money And also, we're being asked to trust the Vatican. Now, I'm not sure that the women in Ireland, or indeed the men, are willing to take on trust what the Vatican tells us without documentary evidence. We're being asked to believe that the Vatican approved the building of a hospital in Dublin uh, in which procedures directly contrary to Catholic teaching uh, will take place. Now, I find that hard to believe. You've also called on the government to tell us, tell the country, why they don't want to just buy it outright well because Vincent's have refused point blank and the reason they've refused is probably because the Vatican won't let them that's probably the reason right without seeing the paperwork we don't know right so we need to see that paperwork in order to clarify all the issues Um, now what I'm hearing from you Peter is a direct question to the Minister for Health here uh, Minister Donnelly, or indeed yeah. directly to the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, to say, is that the case? Can you not buy it because the Vatican won't let you buy it? Is that the case, yes or no? You want that answer? Well, they won't be able to answer that unless they see the paperwork. Yeah. So the paperwork is critical to this thing going ahead, and we really do need to see it. We've seen a whole slew of papers that have been released, which are very complicated legal right. documents okay. with, with concerning issues in them. But we do need to see the paperwork between Dublin and the Vatican. Might I put to you the words of someone with, I'm sure, with whom I'm sure you're very familiar, um, Rona Mahoney, Dr. Rona Mahoney. Yes. Yeah. She said... There is no vehicle, no mechanism by which any church or any religion can impose authority on the company of St. Vincent's Hospital. The nuns are gone, religion is gone, we are an absolute secular organisation, and that is a matter of fact. 
Well, we need to see the paperwork from the Vatican in order to see that that is correct. What are the conditions attached to the paperwork, to the to the transfer of the nuns' assets to St. Vincent's Holdings, whose directors are committed to upholding the values and visions of Mother Mary Aikenhead, the founder of the Sisters of Charity, and undoubtedly those do not uh, support the provision of services directly contrary to Catholic teaching. There is a huge amount of potential conflict here, which will well end up in the courts for years to come. And we don't know, you see, until the hospital is built. And that's several years down the line, so we do need to see the paperwork between the Vatican and Dublin. And you're calling on the government. I'm calling on the government to insist on that before they proceed. All right. Good to get your point of view. Good to get your point of view. Thank you very much. Dr. Peter Boylan, former master of the National Maternity Hospital. Now, there's a good uh, twist on it, as they say. We've had all of these papers released, contracts and licenses and this deal and that deal and other deal. But Dr. Boylan said there's a whole bunch of paperwork in a filing cabinet somewhere that we haven't seen. And until such time as we see that paperwork, which is between the Vatican and St. Vincent's, until we see that paperwork and read that paperwork in the same detail as the other paperwork that's flying around, not a cent, not a shovel, not a budge. Now I think I know where I stand. Now I think I know where I stand. Because if you're buying a house, okay, or you're buying a business, you're buying a car, and there's a couple of sets of paperwork involved, so you're buying a house, Right? There's all the contracts. There's the seller's contract. There's the buyer's contract. There's all this. And you have to see it all and sign it all and your solicitor has to explain it all and you can ask your solicitor 101 questions about what's in the paperwork. But there's another drawer locked with a whole pile of paperwork in it referring to who previously owned the house you're about to buy. And you don't get to see that paperwork. I think I'd worry about that. Two people have been on with us now. Holly Cairns yesterday and Dr. Boylan today talking about the cons, as it were, to the NMH deal. And we should probably talk to someone who sees the pros. So we'll do that. And that's absolutely very important to us, have no doubt. We're running at the other side. I'm going to see if we can talk to to Dr. Rona Mahoney, who is of equal stature, of absolutely equal stature in terms of respect within the community, the medical profession, as Dr. Boylan. So we shall we shall pursue this. Don't worry, Jimmy. Jimmy over on the proc is wondering if we get a bit of balance going here. You're not the only one, Jimmy. We're thinking about it ourselves, lad. But I do take your point. But certainly I think Peter Boylan has opened our eyes in a way to why some people are objecting to this. And certainly... He, he does ask the question or pose the question, would you buy a house? Would you buy a business? Would you buy a car? Would you buy anything from someone when there was a drawer full of paperwork you hadn't seen? And it's a very valid question. But we'll come back to it. 0818 96 96 96. It is communion season right throughout May. And I do believe there were some 
confirmations continuing too, but it is communion season throughout May. Every Saturday in the month of May, you'll see thousands of people out having communion parties. I think there are some Friday communions as well this year, I'm given to understand. There's so many of them to be carried out, so many that were put back and cancelled because of because of COVID. But it's led to a warning from MABS, the Money Advice and Budgeting Service, that money lenders are targeting families who are trying to pay for First Holy Communions and they are scouring for business. Illegal money lenders. Ursula Collins is regional manager with MABS and joins me. It's an expensive time for families. Ursula and people will get a few bob from wherever they can get it, particularly if they don't have a great credit rating and they could be lending themselves into long-term trouble. Good morning. She, oh, she's on the line. Sorry there. Yes, Orsley, sorry. Yeah, hi, Peter. Can you hear yeah, me? I can. People will get themselves into trouble. Yes, absolutely. And as you say, it's an expensive time, particularly at the moment. And as we know, with the uh, increasing uh, cost of living over the last couple of years, um, you know, everyone is feeling the strain. And when people have additional expenses, then, um, and as you said, they maybe have difficulties accessing credit. Uh, They can look to options that are short term, will solve their problem, but in the long term will lead to further uh, debt issues. Yeah, because it's an you know, putting a a child through First Communion is an expensive time. It is. Dresses and dinners and going out for parties and everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Someone might be thinking, Ursula, listening to us this morning, all I need is a few hundred quid. I only want three or four hundred quid. I don't even need, I have paid for the dress, I have paid for everything else. I just need to have a couple of hundred quid in my my, my pocket on the day to do the things I need to do. There's a fella down the road will give me 250 quid in cash and sure, we're all grand, I'll have it paid off by the end of the year. They don't realise the trap they're falling into. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, you know, I, I understand and we're completely free and confidential service. And we're also, you know, we, we don't make any judgments about people. People are in very difficult situations across the board now. And we absolutely understand that um, people, you know, want to be able to celebrate these very important um, life events. Um, particularly now that we are all able to um, get out and and socialise a bit more after the last couple of years. But what we would say to people is rather than um, that option, uh, please come in and talk to us. We do have access to other uh, stakeholders in the community that we work with and we can refer you to, for example, some of the credit unions, to very low-cost loans. And because you're working with us, if you've had difficulties with credit in the past, we can um, uh, act as an intermediary there and assist. Um, so we will also look to maximise your income and help you with budgeting. So there's a whole range of things that we can do. Um, and even if you have, you know, because I'm aware uh, a number of the communities have already happened, etc. Even if you are the person that took that option, you know, come to us now. Come to us before um, you have got, you know, that that 150 euros turned into 600 that you owe, you know, by Christmas time. And Christmas time, then you're in bother again. 
you know? know. So come to us now and, you know, we're free, we're confidential. You can come into us in person. We have offices all over the the county here in, in, in Cork and indeed all over the country. Yeah. Um, we can also, if you don't want to call into the office, um, we can offer you uh, services by Zoom or uh, chat to you on WhatsApp, whatever's convenient. Yeah. This is something so, I wouldn't have known mm, about MABS. And I think a lot of yeah. people might not have known about MABS. A lot of the work of MABS, correct me if I'm wrong, Ursula, is in helping people who are in trouble to, yeah. to level themselves out and maybe you'll talk to a bank or you'll talk to a building society. And, and, exactly and, and, and But what you're, what you're saying here is rather than take that three or four hundred quid from the fellow who calls to your door and says to be no problem, come down to us. We yeah. know people who will give you that money when you know that when they know you're working with us, we can sort it out better. Yeah, we can certainly, um, we have a, a network within the community of, you know, credit unions, other, the, uh, the welfare officers, etc., who can access uh, uh, supports for people in an emergency situation, okay, in an urgent situation. So even if you have already taken out a loan and you're having any difficulties, we provide a broad range of support. And I think it's very important to note as well that uh, 50% of our people, people that come to us are people who are working and like lots of people just finding it very difficult to make ends meet at the moment and the other 50% of people would be people that have um, uh, are relying on social welfare yeah. and a lot of them no fault of their own we know what's happened in, in the um, in the last couple of years and all it takes is you know two three months of a loss of income yeah. and people find the debts are mounting and any reserves have just gone yeah. so please you know we would say contact us we were actually celebrating I know you've been dealing with some very difficult issues this morning um, PJ but just to say we were celebrating 30 years of MAB services um, this week and I know you mentioned it on Monday we had an excellent event there in the Trisco and uh, supported by Fusion uh, Marketing and they were absolutely fabulous I must say and we did uh, we had a 30 year celebration then so we have been providing services for that long in Cork. Cork was one of the pilots. It was. I, I remember it. I'm, I'm yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, and I know you, you've been very involved as well, PJ, in the community and voluntary sectors over the years. And, yeah, and you've yeah, been a great supporter of, of events well, and that. You well, know. I, I appreciate that you're saying that, Ursula. And, and that's great to know that MABs are there. They're non judgmental. They are free and they will help you. And for goodness sake, thanks, Ursula Collins. She's regional manager of MABs. Do not take money from a fella in a cheap suit who calls to the door and says, I can help you out. Don't. Just don't. There are other ways. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Holy, absolute moly. What? Holy... 
PJ, we're about three grand in the hole so far. But we had a weekend and a big family gathering. So well worth it. Our first time all getting together post-pandemic. Sweetest Lord. Three grand to celebrate a communion. Oh, wow. 0818969696. Is that the average? Just on the subject of the National Maternity Hospital and my conversation with Peter Boylan. Um, and I, he threw his perspective into the mix in a way that certainly is leading my thinking after being confused, where he's telling us that there's this entire bunch of paperwork that we haven't seen. And kind of posing the question, why would you spend the bones of a billion euro, which is what the state will spend on building this hospital? Why would you spend the bones of a billion euro, a thousand million euro of taxpayers' money on building something and setting something up for which there was a drawer full of paperwork you hadn't seen? That's certainly skewing my thinking at the moment. Now, we will look at the other side uh, and see the arguments for going ahead. Kevin says, anyone saying get on with it, we've waited long enough. Tell me what's unreasonable about what Boylan is asking for. We're proposing to spend the bones of a billion, at least making an informed decision. Not too much to ask, is it? And then a caller says, I was confused about this whole issue until now. I must congratulate PJ and the team for getting the right person on and asking the right questions. I never fully understand the objections to this fantastic investment, but now I do. And we will get someone from the other side uh, to explain why we should go ahead, uh, because it's important to be as balanced as we can in a situation such as this. 0818 96 96 96. Cork Independent is out today. And in the Cork Independent, Councillor Deirdre Ford is calling for a drunk tank to be set up in Cork City. Are you seriously suggesting, Deirdre, that on a Saturday night, if someone is three sheets in the wind and falling home rather than walking home and causing a nuisance, that they'd be thrown in somewhere to sober up? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for uh, asking me to come on. Um, This idea was mooted by me at our council meeting on Monday night when we were discussing a report on the revitalisation of the city, which is a fantastic report and a plan really for how we move forward. Mm. The people are at the heart and soul of our city and they need to feel safe, PJ, and they need to be confident coming into the city. We've been through a lot over the last few years and so much effort has been put in by businesses to get Cork back on track. Um, This is a, a fly in the ointment, if you like. I'm hearing a lot of stories about uh, misbehaviour, antisocial behaviour, people being drunk, uh, worse antisocial issues, drug taking and so on. So I looked Mm. around to see what was being done in other jurisdictions and I called for a meeting with Gardaí to discuss the feasibility of an idea like a drug test. Um, In some places they call them a safe haven uh, unit. Mm. Uh, sometimes they call it, you know, uh, public order unit. 
And uh, in, in other countries, it works very well. They take people off the road and the streets as much for their own benefit as for the benefit of the ordinary man and woman who wants to go into the city of a Friday or Saturday night um, to enjoy themselves. Yeah. As well as that, we're all aware that in our A&E, nurses and doctors come under increasing pressure from um, bad behaviour. And our guardy are under threat as well and try to do their best. Mm. So this, if you like, isn't an entirely new idea, but it would be new for us. And I believe that if we consider this, it would take those people for their own safety as well as citizen safety, and it would hold them in a safe place. They would be monitored, and it would take them off our streets. Who who would bring them there? Would it be guards? It would be a collaboration between the Gardaí, as I see it, the ambulance and the HSE, um, you know, medical professionals. It would be a wraparound facility. And as well as that, you know, we need to be proactive about this issue, PJ. Time for new teaching now, and this is one way we could do it. Um, uh, can you stay, stay, stay as close to that phone as you can, will you? I will, yeah. That's grand. Are you there? I think I am. Um, I believe that Brightwell was also moved at one stage. Um, I know I'll be shocked for this, but we have the old car prison, which could be turned into a facility. The important point is that we take these people off the streets who uh, persist in antisocial behaviour and uh, maybe drugs or drink and take them away and keep them safe okay. until they sober up. All right, that line isn't the best, but you made your point and made it well, Councillor Deirdre Ford. So there you go. And we did cover this report earlier in the week, the, the KPMG report that went before the council with all the great ideas in it. And she's right, it's full of great ideas, great plans, a great vision as to what we do for the future of the city. But as Councillor Ford is saying, well, what's the point if you have, well, there is every point, but you have antisocial behaviour, drink, drugs, fellas, foiling, spoiling for a fight on street corners in the middle of the day, let alone the middle of the night. So what about a drunk tank? A place where they would be brought and just put in there to sober up. Copy Savan, sober up and go home rather than taking up a hospital bed, taking up the back of an ambulance, causing a nuisance for themselves. And she's right too, it's done in other places. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to be in Toronto um, falling around the streets at two in the morning with no place to go, spoiling for trouble. You wouldn't, like, you, you'd be you'd be dragged off the streets by the police. And if you were a visitor from for, to the country for the summer on a visa, you could find that visa squashed very quickly if you made a nuisance of yourself. Do we need a place in the middle of town or anywhere? She's talking about the old prison. But that's way up the north side. Do we need a place in town a, a drunk tank, effectively, where people who are causing a nuisance, causing a problem on the streets, are just literally thrown in there to sober up. Supervised, one assumes. Who would have the power? Who would, would, would it need more guards? Would it? That's that's her idea. It's not a new one. She didn't invent it. I wonder what you think. A drunk tank in Cork, or a holding area to avoid antisocial behaviour. Because we do know, be fair, most of the fellows that you see around, say down around the fountain, 
uh, late on a Saturday night uh, and they're shouting at the world through a, a drunken haze uh, and they take on their own shadow in a dark room spoiling for a fight. Most of them by the time they've slept it off are completely harmless and can toddle away home. Your thoughts are welcome. 0818 96 96 96. Just on the subject of J1 visas, we had we had a slew of complaints last week. We started out by just reading out one message that came in and it kind of poked a bear and we had a load of people ringing us up telling us of delays with the J1. It's very slow this year and a lot of people are thinking now, ah, to hell with that, I'm not going to bother going because I won't get there until the end of June and early July. It's not worth it. We got on to uh, Deputy Colin Burke after getting all that contact and he went and he put a question on the matter to the Minister for Foreign Affairs and he got an answer, a written answer. Uh, we'll give you the text of that and let you know what the Minister for Foreign Affairs has said at some stage later this morning. Uh, where are we? Oh yeah, um, what about people's inability to get into town during the day because of a lack of parking and inability to find parking discs when you do find it? People may choose to go to town earlier in the evening and let the drunks have it later. And the question, who's going to run it? Well, Deirdre Ford was saying kind of a collaboration between the guards and all the other services would run it. That's the suggestion. Kevin says, from memory, this was introduced in Bristol in 2013. Mobile sobering up areas. Staffed by the NHS. Take the pressure off a e Not sure if it still goes on. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Your thoughts particularly welcome on this uh, drunk tank idea of Councillor Deirdre Ford. Grand Point, but the old prison site, as suggested, would be better for housing and a community hub, not a drunk tank. Time for balance in the city. We're doing our share with the prison. More gathering needed on the streets as a counterbalance. 0818969696. And just come back to that thing in Spain there. Because this decision that they've made in Spain will be made law next week or the week after. That women will get three days off a month for menstrual leave. This is part of a package of measures announced by the Spanish government. Um, they also are taking the vat off of tampons in supermarkets. They're also removing the requirement for under-18s to seek parental permission for an abortion. Also, they may give leave for people who are having an abortion. This has already been done in Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, other places like that, the menstrual leave I'm just wondering what you think about that. Menstrual leave, a couple of days off per month when things get very, very difficult uh, for women. And it can get very difficult for some women. I've worked with enough of them over the years to know it can get very difficult for them at certain points in the month. Ah, line two, is it? Yeah, Councillor John Maher on Deirdre Ford's idea of a drunk tank. Good or bad, John? Good morning. 
Uh, good morning, PJ. Listen, a good idea to an extent, but uh, I would say leave the north side alone uh, when it comes to suggest throwing out suggestions. Um, the old prison site was mentioned, and I, I get on well with Deirdre, but on this one I disagree. Um, uh, and it's not a case of nimbyism, um, because we already have the Cork prison um, on, on our side, um, which when it was built, we were left short of a lot of community development around it. Um, so I have a motion to council a couple of months ago saying that no, that the new prison is built, that the existing one, or sorry, the old one, um, where you can build houses, we would, and where the bits that maybe need to be um, need to be uh, minded and, and protected because of they date back so long is that we bring that bring that into a community hub, um, and we would respect. And there's, there's there's a lot of history there as well, and there's a cultural aspect of it that we would maintain. So, I mean, the idea that we just throw out the Cork prison site um, for something as serious as a drunk tank, that's not good enough. Okay. And this is something that needs to be brought together, um, you know, from everyone. And, and I just think throwing out one, uh, one, um, one, one uh, location today doesn't help the cause at all. Okay. Your thoughts, though, on a drunk tank, John, not a bad idea. Like, who'd run it? Where would you put it? No, How I, would you I, manage I, it? PJ, I, I think, I think, look, I mean, they're the questions that people far more uh, qualified than me need to answer. But I think that we need to go back to the basics as we as 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 we start again. Government need to provide more guardy on the street because a lot of our, our drinking happens because people that 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 have a reliance on drink are allowed drink in public spaces from an early hour in the morning. I mean, we know the black spots in town. I mean, every day I go to city hall, PJ, every day. I leave the car park, I walk down between, into, onto Anglesey Street and there's a bus stop there, beautiful marble and there's a lot of people drink there. Now that's outside our guard station, our fire station and City Hall and that's a regular occurrence. Mary Ellen's Bridge is another one. So my point would be, first of all, is that we get Gardaí on the beat sure. that will then stop this and we also then, because it's not just people, we'd say at that level that are causing trouble when it comes to drink, it's also people of my own age that are going into pubs on the weekends and that are drinking far more than they can they yeah. can take and and I think then that we we have a personal responsibility when it comes to that and we also as 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 as, as I suppose as as vintners which they are in the majority of pubs I go to are responsible so I think it's a collective thing. Yeah. You've got to um, come, come together and tackle it, I guess, as, as a community. The, the idea has been thrown out. Thank you, John. John Maher, councillor, Labour councillor for Cork North. West or East? Never remember which. Uh, but anyway, Labour councillor, John Maher, thank you. Uh, Deirdre Ford suggests a drunk tank. John says, we're well, not entirely opposed to the idea at all, but certainly not in the old prison. Thank you. 0818. 96, 96, 96. Now, am I glad? It's about 64 days. Am I? Do I sound like I'm desperate? It's about 64 days now. In fact, it's exactly 64 days till I put on my flip-flops and head up the steps of the plane and go off on my summer holidays. And the whole lot booked since late last year, once I realised we could go again. I can't get there fast enough. But the it looks as if the cost of flying somewhere it's going to go up. And it was only a matter of time because with the price of fuel, oil gone the way it's gone, it's only a matter of time before aviation fuel shoots up in price and only a matter of time before that price is reflected in the price of your ticket. 
Now, Pat Dawson, CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Pat, do the airlines buy, like they can buy 12, 18 months in advance and then they cut a deal on prices. I think they call it hedging. They do that, but the, the, the rise in price is going to catch up, isn't it? Good morning. Three, isn't it? Yeah, three. Pat, the rise in price is going to catch up. Up as such, and certainly in the high season, we we know it. Now, for the next number of weeks, uh, the airfares are reasonable as such, but then in June, July and August, I mean, when the school closes, you know, everyone uh, like you gets on their plane and, and go, goes in their thousands as such, and and Cork is no different than anywhere else. And they have hedged. I mean, Ryanair have hedged certainly uh, at least a year, if not 18 months, uh, and they bought fuel at, at very, very uh, cheap prices as such. Maybe I think it was as low as 60 or $70 a barrel, which is fantastic. I don't know about the AIG group, which our lingus are, are, are involved in as such. I don't know when they have hedged. Uh, but, I mean, uh, you know, the world in the street is airfares are going up, and... Uh, airlines will put them up anyway because they need to get all that money back that they've lost over the last number of years. Now, for as long as airlines are airlines, the price of going literally the day after the schools break up has always been cheaper than going the day before the schools break up because the flight just gets dearer overnight miraculously. That's going to get worse? It is, yeah. And, and of course, PJ, the problem is then uh, we're not at full capacity uh, like 2019. Like Cork Airport hasn't got back to the figures. I was reading about Shannon this morning as such uh, of the 2019 figures. So we, we don't have, I and mean, we're still, <clears throat> yes, the, the airport have, have uh, very, very excellent routes, but they're still back with the capacity in 2019. And one of the main reasons is that Aer Lingus have shifted uh, an aircraft and a half uh, out, out of Cork. They've done the same out of Shannon. So when you move an aircraft uh, that, uh, here for a full week, I mean, you're, you're probably, it's costing you maybe eight or ten routes. And I know from people ringing us, uh, why isn't this route on? Why isn't that route on? And all that, all that kind of stuff is going on. And uh, it, that's a problem then. And, you know, supply and demand. If there's great supply, well, then the price are better. If the supply is tight, well, uh, the price goes up. Yeah, yeah, and that's just the way the economy That's the works. way it is, yes, yeah. indeed. Pat, can I just, just ask you something that I read about in the last while, and I read a bit more deeply into it, and it's not as widespread as it might seem. This talk about limits on the amount of drink you can have uh, in Spain or in Mallorca or wherever, in all-inclusive. What do you know about yes. that? Yeah, well, I tell you, it's a good thing in a way. Why you ask me that? Well, the reason why is because the, the local, the local bars and restaurants are, are, are sort of being caught here in the sense, like if you're all inclusive, you, you can drink what you like or, or, or as often as you like as such, which isn't necessarily a great thing either uh, for all sorts of reasons. But I, I think that the local politicians in the various resorts, be it Spain or wherever else, they said, well, look at our, our bars. These people are staying in their hotel all evening because they're getting free drink. And, and there's nobody coming out to, to visit our bar and, and spend some money. And uh, that's, that's the main reason, PJ, behind that.
Yeah, yeah, because they, they were putting it down to antisocial behaviour in some parts of of Mallorca in particular, because Magaluf is one of the areas affected. Not every area is affected. Magaluf is affected, and I was thinking back to the time when Santa Panza had the reputation Magaluf had. Now they tighten things up a bit for a couple of seasons, and they've turned Santa Panza into a wonderful family resort. Is that what they want to do? They do indeed, yeah. And I mean, the, the la- I mean, we see it on TV or whatever else, some video clips. You know, people locked out of their minds. You know, at eleven or twelve o'clock, maybe a crowd, mainly a crowd of fellas and and, and some w- women as well, as such. But from that point of view, it's not a good image, and you know, it causes aggravation. And and you know as well as I do, you don't have to be over in uh, Mallorca that that if there's a group of people out together and have to far too much drink on it, it's antisocial behaviour. We I've seen it in Cork, I've seen it in Dublin, yeah. or whatever else, and we just don't want that. And it it, it is a it is a good idea, but I think the main—I uh, mean, the main reason is that that the, the publicans in the various resorts—and I can totally understand that—they're yeah. not getting a piece of the cake because yeah. you're sitting in because it's free. Yeah, I remember a couple, a, a Dublin couple, that had a little pub in Menorca that I was in a few years ago, and they were really. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. In a bad way because there was a, there was a little resort, maybe a quarter of a mile away, had went and done an all-inclusive and they were losing money hand over fist as a result of it. Yeah, Pat, thank you very much. Pat Dawson, CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Your your flight is going to get dearer and your all-inclusive is going to be not so much inclusive as it was. But I do remember I was in Mallorca when the kids were about five or six and we hired, we, we hired a car. We were in Alcudia and we hired a car and we just did the drive and we did the, the circuit of the island as you do over a couple of days. I remember going into the famous Santa Panza and nearly running out of it. Oh my God, nearly running out of it. And then a few years later, we stayed there and it had totally changed, totally changed into a fantastic family resort because they did some limits. The local council there put some limits on things and really tightened it up. And I suggest that's what they're doing with the likes of Magaluf. And Magaluf is a kip. I'm sorry, that's Magaluf is a dump. But you could turn it into the same as what Santa Ponza is. It was a brilliant place for a family holiday. Thanks, Pat. 0818 96 96 96. 
can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. County Cork-based artist Fiona Kelly addresses themes of ecology and society in her new work, A Temporary Iteration. Her research into wilderness, matter and geology considers the human exploration of landscape and is open to the public now at Sirius Arts Centre in Cove. Access all areas. Desperado presents a tribute to the Eagles playing their greatest hits and the band will recreate the legendary guitar sound of the band along with the attention to detail on harmony vocals. The show takes place at the Everyman Theatre on Saturday, May 21st. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Cork County Library and the Art Services are running a special initiative called the Rainbow Libraries Initiative and they're inviting young writers and artists from the LGBTQIA plus community to take part. It's completely free and you can put in whatever artwork you want to put in and successful art applicants then will have their work published in a new collection and they'll get the opportunity to collaborate with a number of uh, local artists uh, including Kel Minton who, who joins me. Kel, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good How to speak you? to you. How important is it for someone, a potential writer, to get their work published in a way like this? Oh, it's so wonderful. Like, my day job is working with kind of young people um, with Fighting Words, and we would publish uh, young people's writing uh, on the Fighting Words website every week, and watching the joy, like, on their face has just really proven to me how important and exciting that is for someone and to have young people be shown that they're being taken seriously and that their work has value um, and that their opinions have, have value uh, is so wonderful to to see and watch. It's really uh, like magical to, to see. So it's so important in terms of their confidence um, as like artists, but also as just as people coming into themselves and um it absolutely I mean the talent of young people in Cork is amazing. I I'm lucky enough to see writers and artists and theatre makers all of the time, um, young people in Cork. And it's amazing. Like it's I want to get more of it out there. Um and I think that more people should be able to see it and that it should be shared and celebrated. So it is. It's so important yeah. for them. And particularly for members of the uh, LGBTQIA plus community to have their work recognized major confidence boost i would say absolutely like yes like there's been a big shift recently in terms of like even since i was a teenager um about representation in, in books and shows that people are watching and there's been a great move kind of away from narratives of uh lgbtq people suffering or being miserable because they're gay or they're trans or whatever um but having their work recognized is just such such a positive thing that they can see that yeah they're you know that they're valuable and that they are not going to be miserable um and you know that they're able to express themselves and explore themselves and art is like a super common way for people to do that so 
um, it's kind of this initiative is great because it's by the young LGBTQ people and it's for them as well. Yeah. So it's kind of the most authentic um, way of as possible to to get that youth yeah. voice out there. Like, what kind of advice do you give people when they come to collab with you, Kel? Uh, I kind of focus on confidence building. I think that people can be really critical of themselves, um, especially when you're a young artist and you're comparing your first drafts to your favorite books, which are polished and perfect and have gone through so many uh, editing processes. Uh, So honestly, my first piece of advice is to let yourself write badly, um, (laughs) which sounds a bit (laughs) counterintuitive. But actually, the best piece of advice I got when I was kind of starting out was that your first draft is supposed to be bad. And so if if you write it and it's terrible, that means you're doing it right. Um, yeah. And then at least you can mold it later and make it into something that uh, you're proud of. But if you don't let yourself be bad at the start, then you're never going to get anywhere. So um, that's also a sign if anyone is listening and they're not sure that they are going to be good enough or that they they're not good at good enough at writing or you know that they don't know if they should that this is your sign to apply like even if you think that you're not good enough like this is please do apply anyway because you'd you'd be surprised how did did you get into writing yourself Kel? oh i'm one of those i i'm one of those cliche uh tales of someone who always loves stories my mom tells this um this tale of me as a child coming home from uh, my first week at junior infants and saying that i wasn't going to be going back to school because my teacher hadn't taught us how to read yet uh so i was really i had high standards like we won um you know i i really wanted to get get that done but i've kind of wrote all through my childhood but it was when I um, I work in graffiti theatre company and it was uh, the artistic director there when I was about 17 um, Niall Cleary uh, saw that I had an interest in writing and he was kind of the, this person for me who encouraged me and got a local playwright uh, John McCarthy involved as well and they mentored me and they they were that person for me who um you know, believed in me and saw that there was value in, in what I was doing um, and changed my perspective on like, wow, I actually am. Yeah. There's something there, you know, I'm, I can do this. Yeah. What's um, it like to see your work yeah. published for the first time then? It's so surreal. I just had my first kind of journal publication recently in the Ropes uh, Literary Journal, which is a publication um, from some master students in Galway. And it's... I- oh, Oh, I still like... take out the journal sometimes. It's been like a month. I just kind of open it up, and um, you know, I, it's it's really like magic. I can't believe that it's real. It's just um, you know, when you've been getting the num- like so many rejection letters that yeah, you yeah. can make wallpaper from them. That's um, right. It's uh, it's yeah. really great to get the. Mm-hmm. The Look, acceptance letter, you yeah. know. So done. Um, I wrote that. That's my work, and someone else wants me. to read it. Wow! I yeah. didn't. Yeah, I didn't dream that. Yeah, um, <laughs> oh, it's such. There's no feeling like that. It's really, and you know, when you have gotten rejection letters all the time, it 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 just dashes them all away, um, yeah. and just keeps you motivated to keep yeah. going when that it's uh, achieved. That's great. One acceptance is is better than a hundred rejections. Finally, coming back Absolutely. to the Rainbow Library, I mean, how important is it for the LGBTQ community? It's difficult to convey like how huge of an impact and initiatives like these have. I mean, giving young people the language to express themselves and to accept themselves and to know that there is happiness and love out there for them. Um, Seeing 
people who are like you, like especially older members of the community. And, you know, if you're in a situation maybe at home or in school where you are maybe not comfortable to come out or, or safe to do so, it's really like it shows you that there's there's life beyond that, you know, that there is happiness and love for you out there or even for parents maybe who are concerned for their kids because they have no problem with them being LGBTQ, but they, you know, nobody wants their kid to suffer. And a lot of the narratives out there are about, you know, the struggles of coming out or, or living. And I think it's it's such a positive thing to show that, no, there's a lot of hope and happiness and joy and just normalcy for people, you know, as well, that there's, it, you're going to be okay. Um, and I think that initiatives like this really show that. I mean, it'll it'll produce those collections of work where people can read about it and see it, but also when you take part in the workshops, you'll be working with um, artists who are part of the LGBTQ community and have been working in it for 40 years, you know? So yeah. I think it's just, it's so important to see that and mm-hmm. to just know that you're going to be okay. Your enthusiasm for it, Kel, is infectious. That's Kel Minton, who will be part of the Rainbow Libraries Initiative. People who are successful in their applications will get to work with and collaborate with Kel. If you want more information or you want to submit something, you can just contact arts at corkcoco.ie. Arts at corkcoco.ie. Just send them an email expressing your interest. 0818 96 96 96. I saw this picture a while ago. There's a serious humdinger of a yacht has pulled up on Kennedy Key. It's worth about 60 million quid. Uh, It's owned by... Someone called Dwight Shar, of whom I can must confess I have never heard. But he is an American billionaire. Look, I'm sure he's not too familiar with PJ Coogan either. But I've never heard of him. But he's down there, he's got a yacht down at Kennedy Key, and it's a seriously sexy looking bit sexy looking bit of boat. So it is. <laughs> Welcome, Mr. Shar. And if you feel like showing me around and giving me a tour. I'd be more than delighted. More than delighted. You're very, very welcome, sir. 0818 96 96 96. We got this one, and I just put it out there for what it's worth. And again, this is the kind of stuff that, if anybody else in this position, they can maybe help us put some meat on the bones. Is anyone else having problems with their Electric Ireland account? I logged in yesterday to see how much I still owed on my bill. And I owed them just 30 euro. Logged on last night then to pay the balance off. And now I owe them over 230 euro. I'll be ringing them this morning to question this. But I just wanted to check to see if anyone else is having the same problem. Sounds to me like you were just unlucky. That they calculated your new bill. And entered it on before you had a chance to pay off the last one. That's what it sounds like, but mightn't be. So anyone else did that, logged in. Oh, look, oh, great, I only owe them 40, 50 quid. Pay that. I'll go in tonight now, and I'll pay that. And then you go in, oh, there's 200 quid going on to it. Anyone else been through that? Oh, wait, and what did you do? Is it a mistake? Did you ring them? Can you talk to a human being these days when you ring them? 0818 <laughs> Yeah, he's one of those artists who'd been kind of beavering away doing things for several years before we discovered him on radio. Dermot Kennedy 
and outnumbered on Cork's 96. And he's probably a guy, actually, who owes a lot of his early success to iPods. And you see there where Apple are getting rid of the iPod. The iPod, when it came out first, this thing would hold, like, 10,000 songs, 20,000 songs, and you could put your entire music library onto this one little small box. Wonderful things to have. And they lasted. They're built like tanks. They didn't give trouble. Once you looked after them and didn't throw them around the place, they would last forever. Apple has decided that the iPod is no more and they will be ceasing production. I hope that they will not cease looking after and maintaining them. But most of the things that an iPod does are now part of any phone anyway. So you don't kind of need them anymore. But that's a, a sad to see, a little bit sad to see the demise of the iPod. I, I'm thinking, and I won't name the man, but he knows who he is if he's listening. There's a good pal of mine in the business, in the music business around town, a very, very successful member of the Cork music community, entertainment community. You know him well. I won't mention him. But his entire show is from three iPods. And when you walk up to him and you chat to him, you'll see them all connected into this little mixer that he has and everything he does is on three iPods. And I said to him one time, I said, they better not crash in you. And he said, ah, <laughs> there's another one. <laughs> because they, can't, they got so cheap towards the end of their life as well. The demise of the iPod. We'll talk about it in history lessons in 40 years' time. There's a car upside down, we're told, on Glasheen Road. I hope no one's hurt in that. How did that happen? Car upside down on Glasheen Road. Avoid the area if you can. Speaking of history and the iPod being consigned to history, this came up on the show a couple of days ago, just in passing. And 120 years ago, they celebrated the Cork International Exhibition of 1902 in the place now known as Fitzgerald's Park. And historian Tom Spaulding joins me. And Tom, I was today years old when I realised that Fitzgerald's Park was actually named for the Lord Mayor of Cork at the time, a man called Edward Fitzgerald. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, that's correct. Um, Sir Edward Fitzgerald um, was um, Lord Mayor of Cork. And... Beyond that, he was actually the man who uh, instigated the idea of having this big exhibition and and largely kind of was the driving force behind getting it done, uh, a man of boundless energy and, and quite a lot of charisma and one of those kind of individuals who could literally talk to everybody from the man on the street to the king and queen of England. Uh, and in fact, that's how he became Sir Edward, is that the show ran for two years, in fact, uh, 1902 and 1903, and in the second year, Edward VII came to Cork with Queen Alexandra and he was knighted for services at that point. Um, so that's how he became Sir Edward. Now, photography then isn't what it is or wasn't what it is now. A lot of what we have is drawings and sketches. It looked fantastic, Tom. It was. It was an amazing event. Um, if your listeners could imagine, um, say, the Ploughing Championship, the All-Ireland Finals, a massive trade show, the Young Scientist Exhibition, the Electric Picnic, um, all happening at the in the same summer on the same site. Wow! Um, at the same in time, Cork. that's at the same time, more or less. That's what you, you you would need to imagine. It was it attracted nearly two million visitors, um, which, considering the population of Cork at the time was only eighty thousand people, 
that would obviously mean a lot of those visitors were coming from from um, out from you know, further afield and, and from abroad, in fact. Uh, and obviously, there would have been quite a lot of repeat visitors. But I mean, it was it was a massive cultural and um, scientific um, and technical event. Like you were mentioning the eye um, pod there in the um, earlier piece, and the Cork exhibition was the first time that people in Ireland would have seen something like the X-ray machine working, or baby incubators, or fax machines, or mm. you know any number of technological innovations, which then obviously in the rest of the twentieth century became essential for for everyday life. It was a kind of a genius thing too, because you had. And you see the pictures of this. You had this enormous water chute using the river mm. for the best way possible. You had a skating mm-hmm. rink, of all things, restaurants, mm. shooting galleries, an aquarium, and right next to them, scientific exhibitions. There was everything yeah. there. There was literally something for everybody. I mean, if you wanted to spend an evening um, you know, promenading along the Lee, listening to a, you know music from different stages and taking, having a hot dog or a cocktail or going for some fine dining, you could do that. If you wanted to spend time um, examining scientific exhibits or the latest bits of, of tech, you could you could do that. Um, there was an aquarium there, for example, um, which. Um, was stocked actually with Irish native fish um, rather than what we'd expect in an aquarium. And inside the aquarium, there was a diver in a suit. I mean, not all the time, obviously. He'd kind yeah. of get going and do his shows. Uh, and uh, he would kind of pick up things and demonstrate. But there was a telephone on the wall of the aquarium tied into the diving suit. So you could actually speak to the diver and the diver could speak to the audience and while he was inside the aquarium. So, I mean... You know, this, I mean, to the people of Ireland in 1902, or the people of more or less anywhere, to be honest, in Western Europe, mm. who saw these innovations, it would be a bit like us going to some sort of, you know, high-tech, um, you know, conference in San Diego or something and being shown the, the technology of the future, stuff that hadn't really been, um, yeah. you know, got ready for market but was coming very soon. That's the kind of stuff that, yeah. that, that was on show. So, um, And then I mentioned the sporting thing. I mean, the, the sporting aspect of these exhibitions um, often gets overlooked, but there, there was a huge, the, the, the biggest crowds on, on any particular day were the crowds who turned up to see sporting events. Uh, and there was obviously um, there was Gaelic football and hurling, but there was also things like lacrosse uh, and tennis, rowing, sailing, you name it. Wow! Uh, and uh, and in fact, the, the biggest single sporting event wasn't what you'd expect, like soccer or or, or um, Gaelic or anything. The biggest event was actually a rowing event, um, which was actually held on the marina, and seems to have attracted almost a hundred thousand spectators. So it was. You know, a massive festival of, of culture in, in all its forms. I, I don't. Was there any newsreels kept, or did newsreels even exist at that point? Because it was 1902. What records do we have of it? Well, newsreels didn't exist, and um, they become more common during the First World War when there's there's a massive, massive surge in the amount of cameras and the amount of films being shot, and and massive thirst for for regular news. Uh, and a network of cinemas to show those newsreels in. What did exist in terms of film was a specially invited cinematographer and director came over from from Scotland uh, and um, recorded uh, quite a significant number of events, um, the big events, but also some of the smaller events. And there were regular exhibitions of these films on the site, but also 
in the city centre. I think they were they were shown in the assembly rooms on um, on South Mall. Right. Um, so we do have quite a lot of film footage um, of this event, and um, the Cork Public Museum has the licence to to show this film footage. And if any of your listeners are, are interested, they could pop down there uh, and have a look at it. And it's fascinating to see. It doesn't just concern the exhibition. It it shows you know a factory um, gate. Um, films, so you can see the employees leaving work, or it shows people coming out of mass on a Sunday morning. Um, so you may get a glimpse of your grandfather or great grandfather or grandmother in one of these shots. But as, aside from the films, obviously there were lots of, of by then there were lots of newspapers and periodicals and journals and, yeah. and sketches and, and and still photographs. So so it's actually quite well recorded. So we have good information on it. So how is the anniversary going to be marked, Tom? Well, I, I suppose um, the Court Public Museum have a permanent exhibition of artefacts from the um, the show, um, and uh, you can you can go and look at those. Um, there's also a book that myself and the curator of the museum did a number of years ago, which is still available on the subject. Um, it's called the Cork International Exhibition, 1902-1903, and your readers might be able to get their hands on a copy of that. Uh, and um, the Electric Bar on South Mall are holding a um, special cocktail evening next week. Um, and you might wonder why why would you be doing cocktails? What has that got to do with the, the exhibition? But amazingly, amongst all of the various um, food concessions and stalls, um, as well as there being, you know, hot fine dining and hot dogs, um, there was a temperance restaurant. There was a couple of smaller um, restaurants. But there was also... A good number of bars and one of these was called the american bar and um the american bar as it names as its name suggests was um provided american drinks mostly mixed drinks mm. and the yeah cocktails largely yeah and the 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 organizers of the um exhibition had got um permission for these two american barmen a man called lewis tower and charlie paul who worked in the big hotels in America and had made cocktails for Queen Victoria and all sorts of bonkers stuff um, to provide recipes and come to Cork and train staff. Fabulous. And uh, we managed to track down um, not, not not just the menu and price list, um, but we actually have tracked down the um, recipes that were used to make these original cocktails. Um, Fantastic. And, and uh, the plan is to try and recreate some of them in the electric bar. Okay, listen, Tom, I'd love to spend more time talking to you about it because it's fascinating. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Here's one that's just come in, and I wonder if anybody else is in this corner or this place right now. I'm working for HSE. I was on to you before about the €1,000 COVID-19 bonus that hasn't yet been paid to some workers. I found out it's being released to payroll, but there's some official or other holding it up. The private sector have received their money already. Can anyone please explain what is the hold-up? Because we're not getting any explanation. In this case, it doesn't even seem to be the government's fault. We deserve it, but at least we deserve 
an explanation. Ooh. So some suit. That's what this person's claiming. Some suit. Some job's worth. Some clipboard carrier. Some pen pusher. Is supposed to be holding up this payment. That's what they think. We'd look into that. Speaking of HSE workers. Happy International Nurses Day. No, I didn't know either. Thank you for letting me know. I think it was Fergal. Happy International Nurses Day to all the nurses in all of the hospitals across Cork. Uh, wonderful people. Every single last one of them. Um, you only know the benefit of a nurse when you need one and when there's one there doing what they do for you. So happy International Nurses Day to you all. 0818 96 96 96. I want to pop across pop across like I was heading to McCurtain Street I want to pop across to Tasmania of all places or Tassie as I think the locals call it Tasmania to talk to Esther Campion uh, from Cork uh, who's just published is it your third book Esther good morning or good evening as it is now in Tassie yeah, well, you're good morning. I mean, we're all a bit bait after the, you know, we're kind of finished our Thursday now, like, and you're only getting into it at home. But yes, my third novel came out last year, um, my three published novels, and I am super grateful to be on here with you, PJ. I think my cousin sort of, you know, dobbed me in that I was after producing novels when they got wind that I think Barnes & Noble in America have them now and it was just lovely Mick Moriarty in um, Blackpool the Baldy Barber people yeah. might know him as uh, good and, yeah 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 you probably know him a lot better than me PJ but fair play to him um, do you know he got in touch with you and I'm absolutely delighted with the opportunity to be talking to you this morning yeah and all your books of absolutely. course they're on Amazon you get them for the Kindle and this is the type of year the, the, the time of year Esther that a lot of people are selecting the books that they'll bring on their holidays so right but, but first of all from Cork to Tasmania how did that come about <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a bit of a circuitous route, I tell you, it wasn't straightforward. Um, I, my husband is from the Orkney Islands and I met him in um, UCC. I think I know you from UCC. Were you in the Philosoph Society a oh long God, time ago? I was, I was, I was. Well, I can I can remember you as a 17-year-old girl fresh out of Farnry, North Crescent Farnry, and standing in the line with, you know, my knees knocking for registration in the quad in UCC and going into the Ola Max for the registration. And you were one of the lads, like this long before Harry Potter, and you were all in your black gowns, you know, <laughs> cavorting around the place, handing out leaflets or something. You're bringing, I, back, you're bringing <laughs> back memories best not spoken. <laughs> Well, that's my kind of lasting memory of you, PJ, I'll tell you. But look, um, yeah, and I met him in UCC. He was doing a master's in aquaculture. And then his career took us to, well, Dublin of all places for a year. And then we went on to Fort William in Scotland for about seven and a half, then Norway for three and a half, then to South Australia for five. And then we ended up in Tassie in about 2013. Yeah. And we've been here since. So it's a lovely part of the world and chat about that in a minute but how did the writing start? Well look I'll tell you exactly how the writing started I had no notion of writing like but I think I was a bit 
we well obviously we were a bit lonesome like we <laughs> traveling these places with three kids and the whole lot and when I got to I remember being in Norway and trying out a correspondence course in writing and hating it because of course there was no cup of tea no chat like the whole lot it was very boring altogether but then when I came to Australia I got that kind of oh Jesus no like you know the old ooigness and um, I said I have to do something for myself now you know once the kids were settled in school and I was looking for jobs to no avail and um well, my small fellow was only in his, what they call the kindy year here, and that's only a couple of hours, so I couldn't really work anyway. So I said, right, I'm going to find a creative writing course um, here. And at that time, of course, I thought that writing, you had to be kind of qualified and, you know, do courses and all this sort of stuff, which isn't true for anyone listening. But um I there wasn't any in the the area because I was about where we were in a place called Port Lincoln. It's probably best known for tuna farming and okay. tuna fishing, okay. and they um they no create writing course. But I looked up a crowd, a writing group, and they were very nice to me on the phone. And I I kind of felt very intimidated. They were writing novels and everything, and I but I didn't want to be rude, so I said I'll go along to one of your meetings, like, and I went along and. I'd written an email to people, a few people, I'd sent it to um, about kind of, you know, the couple of days, the transition between Norway minus nine degrees to um, January in Port Lincoln, 36 degrees. And we were all, we all had that 24 hour bug and we were sick and the whole lot. And I sent this email to, and one person I sent the email, well, a few people said it made them laugh and it made them cry. And I remember thinking, God, I'd love to be able to do that through writing. Yeah, yeah. And that's what kind of set me on the path of looking for people. But I had, they said, can you bring something you've written? And that was the only thing that I had. And I brought it along and I was among a crowd of published poets, short story writers, award winners, you know, this kind of thing. People well on their way to writing novels. And they just said, I read that, I was the last shake to my shoes, and they just said, look, you you can stay with us, you're fine. Wow. And I, honest to God, I say this to people, but I thought I'd be making the tea. <laughs> they were a very nice day, and I just took, like, they'd be writing poetry one session, and I'd have a go at writing a poem, and I just did everything they, they asked me to do, like, but they used to go on these retreats, PJ, writing retreats, which yeah. all sounds a bit idyllic, tell you what it is but you had to be writing a novel and my husband said to me look you can't go away for a week you know leave us all like obviously three kids but look why don't you go for a couple of nights over the weekend and you know flip and write something <laughs> so I started writing and the novel that I sub- you know had subsequently wrote you know on the strength of the retreat and the encouragement of the group hasn't been published, but it got me into the the way of it, like, and brilliant. I probably learned the craft. Well, so that's brilliant. how I got into it. And three books, and like you've gone from that now to being thinking you were going to be in a writers' group making the tea, into having your books in Barnes and Noble, probably the most famous bookstore chain in the whole wide world ever, and and it, <laughs> it, 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 they're they're set in West Cork. They are. 
They are, PJ, which is, um, and I hope the people in West Cork don't mind. But <laughs> I had a lovely friend in, in UCC. I don't know if you would remember Janet O'Flynn. But anyway, her family had a caravan and I was in about second or third year and she invited me down there for the weekend. They were going down there for years. They had this big mobile home, big 10 birth thing. And there was five kids. like So it was Bedlam. There's only myself and my sister like in my family. And it was Bedlam in the caravan. And I remember thinking it was great crack all together. Like, and then when myself and Mike got together and we had Roisin, the parents had, um, we were still in Cork at that stage. And Janet's parents, the O'Flynn's there from Bishopstown, they had renovated a house in the village, like in Rock Street behind O'Sullivan's yeah. bar, you'll know it. And um, they offered us the the caravan for our first family holiday, like, you know, with, with our baby. And it was beautiful. And we had a couple of weeks down there. And when I came to writing my second novel, I... I just, it just came back to me. And I knew that, I mean, we've got so many gorgeous places in Ireland. I, you know, we used to spend our summers in Crossave and I have cousins down there. Yeah. Um, still, you know, lovely Myrtleville, all these gorgeous places, but Crookhaven kind of stuck ah, in in my head. Small, and I small just, corner yeah. of heaven is Crookhaven. Small corner of heaven. Isn't it? I know. I know. So, yeah, I did. And, and the first, the, those three books, they all... They all have a setting down there. So, How do you feel, and like coming back to the creative writing course and thinking you were going to make the tea and all that, when people now say they read either, say, Leaving Ocean Road or The House of Second Chances or A Week to Remember, they read one of those books and they say, you know what, this is a bit like Maeve Binchy. How do you feel when the people say, compare you to a, a giant like Maeve Binchy? Well, look, PJ, <laughs> I feel like a very small fish in a big pond. But look, to be compared to me, Binchy is both, um, you know, it's a huge privilege. Uh, it's a bit terrifying, to be quite honest. Um, I was a lover of Maeve Binchy books, um, as was my mother. And I mean, she was a larger than life figure. I remember Light Penny Candle came out in 1982 and I can still see it next to my mother's bed, you know, mm, not, this not kind many, of thing. So not many men will say this. Esther, but Maeve Binchy is one of the most extraordinary writers I have ever had the privilege of reading. And it's not many men say that. Incredible storyteller. Yes, absolutely incredible. Um, and look, I, I'm sure, you know, I don't hold a candle for like, there'll never be another Maeve Binchy, I'll guarantee you that. But it's an absolute honour to be even in that genre, yeah. <laughs> if you well, call it, but, you know what, what I mean? What it has prompted me to do is pop a couple of the books onto the Kindle and I look forward to it, Esther. I look forward to getting stuck into them. What's what's next for you? Thanks a million. Well, I've just got the the first draft of my next novel back from my publisher, Hachette, Australia. Oh, yeah. And they, so the next thing now is the rewriting of it. So they, they give it to an editor and they do a bit of a number on it. Tell you, they give you about a paragraph of all the things they love about it and that you're a lovely writer and all that. And then they give you about 10 pages of what they want to see. I love you. So, you're perfect. So. No change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what's ahead of me now. But hopefully that one will come out sometime right. next year. 
All right. Well, listen, great to talk to you. Um, you're bringing back memories of the philosophy that are long since better buried. But however, great, <laughs> great, great to talk to you. And uh, hello to our good friend, the Baldy Barber, who we all know really well. And your sister is a principal in the Lady of Lords in Ballinlock. She is. She is, yeah. And she's probably listening to me, but she's a great support altogether. Like she was texting me saying, Oh, you'll be great yesterday. And I'm like nervous, Rick, you know? Right. Well, listen, <laughs> so, it's, yeah. It's great to, it's great to, chat, to, to chat to you. And uh, good luck with everything that you do. And take care. Thank you. Thank you so much, PJ. Thank cheers, you. Cheers. Esther Campion from Cork, uh, joining us from Tasmania. Her novels, uh, My Good Pal, uh, John Breen and Waterstones, I'm sure will help you to get, or Easton's or any one of the other books around town, bookshops around town. The library, I think, may have them. Her books are called Leaving Ocean Road, The House of Second Chances, and A Week to Remember. And because of the comparison with made Binchy, I'm definitely going to pop them on the Kindle and take them off on my holidays because it sounds like great writing. Esther Campion from Cork. Good to chat to her on the opinion line. 0818 96 96 96. Tom Welsh says the man had a hand in the Cork exhibition. The man, Tom, had a hand in everything. There was nothing the man didn't have a hand in, Tom. <laughs> By way of Brother Burke, the famous Brother Burke, the first man to generate electric light in Ireland. During the exhibition, he lit up the sky at night by directing a spotlight up into the air. Much of the gear he used is on exhibition in the school in various ways. In the old barn, the office was in a bungalow that was built for the exhibition. Its nickname was the ranch. The greenhouse at the old barn was also from the exhibition. What you're telling me, Tom, is that the man fleeced the exhibition to build a school. <laughs> 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Question 9. D-Day is associated with what war? World War 2. And who wrote the book The Old Man in the Sea? Ah, oh, stop it, Willa. Willa, Willa Wong, really a surname. Willa 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 Wonka. Willa Dwarf. Yeah, Willa Yeah. Willa Wonka. Stop my Willa. We were asking you questions, you weren't waterboarding yet. Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool, exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noldc.com. Open 24 7. Courts 96 just in response to that uh, thing about the HSE and getting their payment of €1,000, their bonus, just a message here to say that Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure, said on the 6-1 News on Tuesday, that was day before yesterday, that the payment was imminent. So he's hoping it'll land soon enough. 0818969696. Bike Week. Cork Bike Week starts on Saturday. 14th May and runs until the 22nd and they have dozens and dozens and dozens of events on. I'm joined by Stephen, I hope I get this right, Stefan Koch, who is a member of the Cork Cycling Campaign. Uh, Stefan, good morning and welcome. I hope I gave you your name correct. 
<laughs> Almost. Hi, PJ. Yeah, it's Koch. Think of the Loch and Cork. All right, okay. <laughs> pronunciation, yeah. Great. Oh, okay. Right. Now, there's a couple, there's a, there's a few key events here to celebrate uh, Bike Week, and, and I want to mention one in particular, which is the, the Lee to Sea. Yes. But tell me about the, the, the concept of the event in general. Uh, of that L2C event, yeah. Actually, uh, it's the L2C water relay, which is happening on uh, Sunday um, throughout the day. So just to give a little bit of a background for of the L2C. So the L2C Greenway, that's a concept, and the idea was born, I think it was during Bike Week or something, about uh, four years ago um, on a public event here in UCC and uh, has gained traction ever since. So the idea is to have a continuous greenway along the River Lee from the Inascara Dam uh, through the city, just down to uh, Carrigaline and finishing in Crosshaven, where the Lee hits the sea. So that's where the name comes from. And as part of this route are already existing, think of the Black Rock and Passage uh, former railway line, the Greenway, from the marina down to, you know, um, and into the city. Lots of it is still existent. Carrigaline to... Um, to uh, Crosshaven, so that would be a fantastic opportunity. This was linked up to the western end, to Balancholic, through the city, 40 kilometers plus of segregated greenways, safe walking and cycling routes for strolling, for leisure, but also for commuting, for sustainable commuting, for uh, uh, active travel uh, to get, say, from Passage to your workplace in Mahan or from, from Rochestown into city centre or to UCC or uh, uh, CUH. That was the idea behind it. And to highlight this idea, and this potential route, uh, there is now during Bike Week this uh, water relay. So what's going to happen is uh, there will start at, um, I think it was 9 a.m. at the Inascara Lake, just close to the dam, mm. getting a symbolic bucket of water or container of water out of the lee and bring it down along the route down to the sea uh, in Crosshaven. So it is a relay. I think there's four legs of uh, about 10 kilometer each. And uh, one of the Lee to Sea uh, uh, Greenway Committee team will carry uh, uh, the water container, then hand it over in Bellancolic Regional Park, in uh, Fitzgerald Park, and uh, I think the next one is at the marina, and right. then to end up in Passage, etc. Ending up eventually in Crosshaven at around 3 p.m., if I get that right here, and um, and they can be joined by, by anybody who likes to join in uh, as kind of a cycle bus event. There will also be uh, uh, an accompanying van uh, with it, with a mechanic in case anything happens. So nice. it is a fantastic event to actually highlight the whole length of the route of the Lead to Sea, which has also, by the way, found entry now uh, over time into the regional and local planning policy papers, uh, just to mention the city and the county development plans that are just about to, um, to be adopted. So it is it has come a far way from the initial idea into now being sure. in the planning documents and so here we want to highlight the concept which is a fantastic opportunity to develop uh, can, can, can anybody that wants to join this Anybody who wants to is free to join. Uh, there is, uh, uh, this is one event among many others of Cork uh, Cycling, uh, of Cork Bike Week. There is a dedicated website uh, in connection with the Cork Sports Partnership. Uh, if you Google Cork Bike Week, um, the program will come up. And uh, so basically anybody is free to join. Um, the ins and outs are in. There is a calendar. It's sorted by days. And I think it's over 200 events that are taking place now within these, uh, these nine days of Bike Week week in Cork alone. Well, have a good 
And of course, it's a, it's a national event, really. It's not just Cork, it's a national event. It is a national event. Since 2009, Bike Week has been happening to actually highlight and celebrate the uh, advantages of cycling also, and primarily not as a sport, but as a day-to-day uh, go into a need-to-go uh, transport mode, uh, whether it's cycling to school, to work, uh, to college, to the shop, to meeting your friends or whatever. Basically, cycling can, can get you can get you a long way, especially in the city, whenever and wherever you need to go. And it's healthy, it's climate friendly, it is flexible, it is space saving, uh, it's uh, zero emission and it's good fun. Yeah. All right. And great, and, and great exercise uh, to add to that. Thank you very much. That's Stefan Koch, member of the Cork Cycling Campaign and uh, the chair of the Transport and Mobility Forum within Cork Council. Stefan Koch, thank you very much. The website is corkbikeweek.ie, corkbikeweek.ie, and all the details of all the events are on that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, that's actually the day after, that's this Sunday. Uh, and uh, I hope to have a big group group taking part in that one. All right. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Let me clear my my decks here. Uh, to the point. Yeah, I on on drunk tanks. Dear Ford's idea with regard to drunk tanks. Uh, I do security in bars in town. Every bar should have a cooling down area. I insist on a customer drinking some water. If I think they've had too much, normally works. Instead of putting them out on the road, they're a danger to themselves and others. Drunk, drunk tank won't work, however. It's a recipe for disaster. That's from, from Patrick. Bunch of stuff on the property prices and the property crash. Kate says it's in the interest of the auctioneer to get the highest price anyway. On a separate note, you can see on the coverage of the Italian cycle race, all the people living over the shops and cheering on the race as it went by. Yes, Kate, we were talking about this yesterday. The number of people who could live over the shops and over the businesses here in the city centre. And you make that point, the Italian, the Giro, Giro is on at the moment, the Giro d'Italia and you can see when it's going through, yeah right Kate, they're looking out their windows um, they're watching like this massive cycle race, cycle race going through the town and they're looking at it while they're having their lunch it's cool 0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, there's another one on uh, living over the shop, which we were talking about yesterday, and just in reference to the cost of rent and the total lack of places to rent. And again, I'm looking out the window of Studio One down at Patrick Street and knowing just how much empty space is on top floors down there, maybe even second floors. Go down around into North Main Street into the same. Any of the streets, the Mall, how much empty space is there in upper floors on the Mall, on the Grand Parade, whatever. And the number of you know places that people in which people could live if they were living over the shop it's a huge thing it was done they tried it in the 90s and for some reason it, it never bit it never really took off um pj give the owners of commercial premises in cork some incentive to refurbish over the shop for renters and then there's no need for cars or bicycles it's all so convenient 
The students have fine accommodation. It's time workers got the same opportunity. Walk around the city of Nice in France, buzzing with people living overhead. Cork City is dead with people living over the shop. That's another great comparison. I knew someone who had a place in Nice for a while, and they said that there was people living in every floor, on every floor. Small apartments, dozens, dozens of them, hundreds of them around Spanish and French cities. It's, it's so, so true. When you look down all the empty space that is up over shops and offices in the Mall and Grand Parade and Patrick Street, you could put dozens of people, dozens of people in there. Someone else was mentioning to me and just discussing this recently with regard to the um, students that that email raises. We have got loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and then some more student accommodation and every time you look everywhere you look there's more student accommodation being built and I guess they need it that's all very well but one of the reasons that student accommodation is so attractive to build is there are tax breaks and isn't it time that we turned some of those tax breaks around so that you could start developing homes over shops it makes sense, but why is nobody doing it? 0818 96 96 96. Now, World Ocean Day comes up on the 8th of June. It's less than a month away. And it means that people are preparing now for World Ocean Day. The Irish environmental charity Clean Coasts has come together with National Spring Clean. And they're asking people to come out and plan for World Ocean Day by cleaning up the beaches. Emlyn Cullen is National Spring Clean Manager. Emlyn, good morning. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me on. World Ocean Day is about the first day every year that I'll venture into the seas around Ireland. I am not one of these cold water swimmers. So, so I very you're, much... You're not an all year rounder, no? I very much look forward to it. But we got to get the beaches ready. Mm. we got to get the beaches ready. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I mean, the... It's not actually just the beaches, which which I know it's it's like obviously we we can't we concentrate on on the coasts, but the thing about World Ocean Day is is protecting our our oceans, I suppose, um, all our seas from the impact of litter, and litter, no matter where you drop it in this country, we're a small island, obviously, no matter where you drop it, it'll work its way through our waterways into the ocean. So yes, we're encouraging people to go out, clean up beaches, clean up coastal areas. But not just that, we're asking people to do clean up wherever you are. So you might be in, I don't know, McCroom or somewhere. You're not, you're, not, you're not by the sea. But you can get involved and do clean up because you'll still be contributing to protecting our seas, protecting our oceans. So, I mean, it's vitally important that we look after our marine life, that we look after the biodiversity in the oceans, which we, like, I mean, there's huge amounts of evidence uh, of how bad the situation is with plastics and microplastics mm. choking our oceans. And thus the knock-on effect to biodiversity, the knock-on effects to us, to human beings. So even if you don't want to do it because you want to look at a tidy beach or you want to enjoy your swim in the summer, think about yourself. <laughs> think about human beings because we're, I mean, ultimately we're the species at the top of the, the biodiversity chain and we're going to be affected if, if we don't protect the biodiversity in the oceans. And the oceans are changing and there's report after report now about how the oceans are changing and how we need to take extra care of them. Yeah, so there's, I mean, at the moment, there's the UN 3030 campaign, which we're kind of focused on this year, which is to create 
I mean, it's critical. I mean, it's critical that more than thirty percent. It's critical that thirty percent of our, our our planet's waters, oceans are protected by twenty thirty. Um, you know, it, it it's sad to say, but it's it's in a way it's wishful thinking because I, you know it doesn't look like we're going to hit any of our biodiversity targets in this country. Um, but we have to try, um, and we have to we ha- you know we have to make the efforts. And and one thing you can do, well, positive action. So you know, it's all. You know, it, it can be depressing reading all these reports, like you say, you see them in the in the newspaper, and you go, oh, "Jesus, what can I do?" Like, but certain, you know, you can take actions. So one action you can do is is do clean up. As I said, it doesn't if, if if it is a coast clean up, brilliant. But it doesn't have to be. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to go down to your beach. You don't have to live by the sea. You'll still be protecting marine life. You'll still be protecting biodiversity. So we're we're asking people to get involved. Uh, we're 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 giving a clean up kits. Um, and the idea is you'd organise a clean up yourself or it can be your friends, can be work, football club, whatever, you know, um, and any any size and decide to do a clean up in and around that day, uh, the 8th, uh, and register with us and we'll send you a clean up kit and off you go and do your clean up. And where, where do people go to register? So you go to our website, which is cleancoasts.org. Uh, so C-L-E-A-N-C-O-A-S-T-S org cleancoasts.org and it's very straightforward just a registration form there and then we'll send you out a kit now I will preface that by saying we're we're, we're very we're it's a very popular <laughs> it's which is good so we're running out of kits so if you're going to do it do, do it sooner rather than later alright ok listen good chatting with you that's Emlyn Cullen National Spring Clean Manager National Beach Clean ahead of National Ocean Day and they dropped the S thank you Emlyn, they dropped the S off the end of oceans to convey the message to us that we are all joined up by one ocean. You look out there at Fountainstown or Myrtleville or Yall or Inchidani or wherever you happen to be, and there's the ocean, and that's our ocean. Um, but if you go off and on your holidays, there's another ocean. But the point of Ocean's Day is they're all connected. So, World Ocean Day. And you know what to do. Right, where am I going so much? I'd love living over the shop, says this call. I, I'd watch people all day. That's my idea of heaven. Actually, there was, I don't know if there still is, but definitely there was in Oliver Plunkett Street. There was a few people living over, you know, the big centre there in Oliver Plunkett Street. Is it Hurley's have it? And they've great coffee and deli stuff and all that. Up over that, up at the very, very top, there's a railing. And I've spotted over the years as I walk in in the mornings when I'm coming off the bus, I see people up there. That's the idea. Living on the top floors around our city centres. There's not enough people doing it. They do it all over the world. All over the world they do it. But they don't do it here. And they especially don't do it in Cork. And we had an idea to do it back in the 90s. And there were incentives given but people stopped, and you'd wonder why. 0818 96 96 96. Two weeks from now, we'll be right in the thick of it. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26 to 28. Only on Cork's 96 FM. I'll be there. Yep, we'll be starting at 6 a.m. on Thursday, May 26th, with the Cork's 96 FM. Giving for Living Radiothon, raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. And of course, we need your help. And you've been brilliant to us. 
brilliant to us. Every year we've done this. We weren't able to do it at all in 2020. We did it last year as best we could, given the conditions. But this year we're back in full effect. And we need you to help us. And we know that you will. We know that you will. You can have a coffee break. We couldn't do them the last couple of years. Coffee break. To do it at work. Do it at home. Do it at school. Get a change collector box. If you haven't got an actual change collector box, we'll send you one out. But if you actually haven't got one, get a bucket or a jam jar or something. Uh, and we have a jersey day. Friday, May 27th. Two weeks tomorrow is a jersey day. So whatever your chosen jersey, be it soccer, GAA, be it cricket, motor racing, you name it. If you want to dress up like a world snooker player with the badge, just do whatever you want. Whatever you want. Friday, May 27th and make money for us on Jersey Day. There is a fundraising pack to be had. You can sign up for one at 96fm.ie. All the deeds you need are there. And remember, two weeks from now, I'm so looking forward to it, we will be in the thick of it. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th to 28th. Proudly brought to you, and only brought to you, by Cork's 96FM. Now, a mental health and wellness-themed mural on the lock has been launched by the Southside Youth Forum. It's a fabulous artwork created by young people from Cloche to Eamon Reish, from the Presentation Secondary School, Balifahan, from Cloche to Creestree, my old school, and Feroiga, Balifahan, Greenmount. And to unveil it, they did a lap around the lock to mark the occasion. And our Moraid went along to see it. Jessica Corcoran. So we planned uh, on what we were going to do to pro- uh, promote mental health and then we uh, designed it uh, with other schools and uh, painted it. Brilliant. And tell me, I suppose, the importance of doing something like this and promoting positive mental health. It's just uh, promoting um, to the local community that um, there is help out there for anyone who wants, who needs it and there's um, a lot more like uh, places that actually will help you than people think. My name is Nora McCarthy. I'm the youth worker in Bellefihan, Greenmount, UBU Froga. We started before the COVID, so this is kind of a, a long process. So it doesn't normally take us this long to fulfil these things. Um, but with the COVID and everything, we weren't able to meet up as a group. Um, so we met up then this year and we finished off the mural. There's about 30, 35 young people involved in it. And we're actually called the Southside Youth Forum. So um, we, we came together about six, seven years ago. So we have done a few different activities every year around health, mental health and well-being, um, suicide awareness. Um, a couple of years ago now we had it in Bellefihan Park, suicide awareness, plant a tree and doing a bench. Um, so yeah, so this, we're, kind of, we're going to start now again in September and there's always new young people and maybe three or four kind of old people from the, the year before and they'd come along then to the next year just to kind of train in and help us to work with them. But it's totally youth-led and youth-oriented and it's what the youth want and what the youth need. Every year then we go into the City Council and speak to the City Council about the issues and concerns they have here so all the councils meet us and the parks rangers as I call them um, and they meet us and then we just decide that we discuss all our concerns like let it be bins let it be rubbish, let it be you know whatever, people want more benches and they listen to us and hear us and then they just go through it like that can be done, this can be done It's Aoife McGrath 
So if you're an artist, are you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I work with uh, Balfian and Greenmount Huge Project and a bit in Bishopstown as well. I've been working there for years and, um, you know, this has been something that's an issue, obviously, with the older groups, you know, mental health. And, you know, unfortunately, we've had a lot of tragic incidents over the years. So we just thought it was really important to maybe do a piece of art to express that, you know, and to raise awareness about it. So that's that's where I came about and to get the kids involved. And I suppose in terms of the design process, can you take us through maybe, you know, how the the ideas came together and what it represents, I guess? It was a group, it was a brainstorm. Um, Like the kids really did get involved. They had ideas themselves. So we literally had just a big kind of discussion and then we did out a few sketches and then I, I just put them together into one piece. And then once they were all happy, few changes and we were good to go so the kids um, did a lot I mean they did a lot of the initial painting now um, when it got to the end then I, I kind of um, just smoothed it over bits but not much they did they did a lot of it so I'm Rosario Gleeson the homeschool community liaison in presentation secondary school Ballyfihan they really enjoyed their work on it for many hours that it took unfortunately it was paused just due to COVID but it was resumed again and some different students were involved then as well but they really enjoyed it as I said already but they also felt that it made them realise how connected we are within the community because of the various community groups involved. Brilliant and I suppose it's so important to promote positive mental health. It is indeed like it's kind of ironic really that this work was started prior to Covid and it's now so evident that this this kind of work is needed you know and particularly it is a form of therapy really through art therapy. And that mural can be seen down at, uh, at the, the lock. <laughs> the contribution from the swan, or whatever it was, was very greatly appreciated. Thank you very much, whoever you are. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we will play our Eurovision song before we go home today, and we wish Brooke Scullion all the best tonight. But I want to catch up briefly with uh, Mick Finn, the Cork Education and Training Board's Youth Service Development Officer and, of course, uh, former Lord Mayor Mick, uh, to talk about the first ever youth festival, Cork ETB Youth Festival, which is on this Saturday, 14th, at Fitzgerald's Park. You've been working on this right from the start. It's been a long time coming. Good morning, Mick. Uh, good morning, PJ. Yeah, and look, I suppose it's a follow-on from what uh, Nora and Aoife were talking about there. Um, you know, this kind of sprang from needs in the community, and not just in the city, but this, you know, stretches the projects that operate in Beira, in West Cork, as far as Fermoy, you know, Mallow. Uh, and we fund um, 30 projects between the city and the county. And what it is on Saturday in the Marina Market uh, is what we call the Show Festival, SEO Father, which is the Irish for show. And it's basically a showcase of what these young people have been doing over the last number of years whether that's in music or art or sport uh, and it's kind of a showcase for those people and they'll be providing all the entertainment and all the exhibitions but it's also an opportunity for you know the general public to come and see what they do and maybe to get involved in some of the activities so you know it's been a long time in the making you know as mentioned there again by the homeschool teacher Rosari it's um you know it, it's it's been deferred because of COVID and that has been an obstacle but I suppose the thing to remember here is that all these youth services the funded youth services operated throughout COVID, albeit a bit differently. Um, and I think it's great for the youth workers as well to have platforms to showcase what they've done. So it's it's an exciting event on Saturday and we'd hope that it'll be well supported. From 11 till 3, Mick, and is it free? 
It's free, yeah. It's a it's a free uh, festival. Originally, it was planned for Fitzgerald's Park, but there was a, a problem developed uh, early in the week. But credit to our event management company, and they kind of came up with a, a solution overnight almost to relocate it to the Marina Market. So uh, anybody who goes to the Marina Market on Saturdays can still avail of all the, you know, the uh, the facilities and the services that they provide. But it'll be enhanced this Saturday with a, you know a youth festival kind of permeating running through it. It's an absolutely fabulous facility, actually, the Marina Market. I was only down there the other day with a pal and went for a bite of lunch. It's going to be a great setting for this. It is, and I think you know it's kind of a funky setting as well for the young people. You know, when when they heard that there was a location change, I was kind of fearful that they might be disappointed. But actually, they're I think enthused by it. Um, you know, and plus the fact, of course, that the food offerings will be will be more and varied. Um, but they, you know, I think it is it is a great location, and credit to them as well for providing the facility for us at kind of very short notice. Um, and you know, it had to be reinvented a bit. But I think you know everything that we had planned for Fitzgerald's Park in terms of the music, uh, the art, the creativity, we're going to do it an interesting one um, where people can kind of um, make sunflowers and it's kind of a, maybe a tilt to the situation in Ukraine yeah. so um, and people can get involved in that so I mean there'll be something there for, for young people something Great. there for adults um, and we look forward to it Great to see it uh, Mick Finn the develop, youth, service, youth Service Development Officer with Cork Education and Training Board thanks Mick that's Saturday 11 o'clock to 3 at the Marina Market it was down, as it's down there the other day I hadn't been there in a while and it was throbbing just on a Monday or Tuesday after Tuesday. It was absolutely throbbing in the middle of the day. So it'll be fabulous on Saturday. Right, that's it. She's 10th in the running order tonight. Okay, 10th in the running order. There are 10 songs to go through to join the other 10 from the first semi-final. And of course, the big five. But she's our girl. This, I think, if ever we had a chance in the last few years, we have a chance with this. She's going down a storm. She's been nicknamed either Dira Lipa or Derry Lipa, depending on where you read it. And every Eurovision fan in Ireland will be rooting for her tonight. Brooke. Brooke Scullion from Derry going under the name of just Brooke. The song is That's Rich. It's our song in Eurovision semi-final number two. Tonight. Go on, kid. Bring it home. I think that has a chance tonight. Ten... Qualification spots up for grabs. That's Brooke singing for Ireland tonight. That's Rich on Cork's 96 FM. Go on and bring it home. Let's get us to Saturday. First time we'd have been in a final for a few years. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Go on, Brooke. I'll talk to you in the morning just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 